Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Hi, everybody. My name is Neil Thompson, and I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is David Goldberg, and I learned about him after watching his TEDx talk. He's led quite an interesting life. He has a PhD in civil engineering, and he ended up being a professor, but he's also done entrepreneurial stints in between his teaching gigs. He resigned his tenure track professorship and founded Three Joy Associates. He's also an author, writing a book on revolutionizing engineering education. I look forward to learning more about his journey to becoming the coach he is today, why engineering education needs revolutionizing in the first place, and his TEDx talk, of course. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, David. Uh, thanks, Neil. Great to be here. So first question, I know you have your background in civil engineering. What motivated you to pursue civil engineering? Yeah, so, it, well, actually, I was on the way to being an electrical engineer, um, and uh, as a young young man, uh, 12, 13, I got an amateur radio license, ham radio, and so I was on my way to being an electrical engineer, and, and I came by engineering, honestly, my my dad does uh, now uh, 91, is, uh, is, is an engineer, so uh, kind of entered the family business. Uh, he was an aeronautical engineer, but I was headed towards being an electrical engineer, and they had a, um, uh, at the city hall, they had a shadow, uh, a, a, a city administrator, so I shadowed the city engineer who was a civil engineer, and uh, real, realized that civil engineers uh, oftentimes own their own businesses, and I thought that sounded pretty cool. So I, I went into civil engineering, but life goes where it goes and I ended up in artificial intelligence closer to software and electrical engineering where I started from. Wow, that is pretty interesting. Civil engineering to AI, that's not exactly a straight line. No, well, and and actually I think that um, there are straight line careers, but when you talk to people, uh, it seems to me that a, a lot of careers have these twists and turns. I um, defining moments where you have a moment of insight or something happens where you you change and you kind of go off at least uh, certainly my own experience has been uh, been that way but um, I was uh, I had a I had a master's degree uh, uh, bachelor's and master's from the University of Michigan I had been working at a, a small entrepreneurial startup that had been doing uh, software for pipeline flow uh, analysis and control and um, I was reading a book uh, called Goodall, Escher, and Bach, um, and, and, which inspired a lot of people to go off into artificial intelligence. And uh, so I, um, actually the, the full story is intro, I'll, it's, I'll try to make it short, but so I'm over in England giving, um, uh, representing my company, uh, trying to drum up business. And I'm at a conference on pressure surges and a uh, a guy I knew from Michigan State walks up, uh, Dave Wiggert's his name, and, and uh, a faculty member at Michigan State. And he says, he asked me at this cocktail party, he says, uh, Dave, when, when are you going to get your PhD? Not if, but when. And I had, had this 
speech at the time where, um, oh, it's not cost effective, the marginal benefit, blah, blah, marginal cost, blah, 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 blah is higher than the marginal. Anyways, I had this rationalization for why I wasn't getting a PhD and I realized, I sort of heard myself and I was kind of listening to myself. I realized that that's exactly what I wanted to do. And then I uh, called my then girlfriend uh, back in the States and said, if I went to Michigan, would she come with me? And then there was another episode that evening where my, my uh, advisor walked in the room and it was like the parting of the Red Sea. And um, I go, what's that about? And I realized, well, he wrote the book on pressure, pressure surges. So I often say that that night was a big night. I decided to get a PhD, get married, and, and write a book on the same night. Wow, <laughs> that's quite an eventful night, David. <laughs> it, well, it was a big night. Now, the, the book was in the back of my mind. It came, it came a bit later, but, um, but, uh, but I realized that, that how much credit goes to people who can speak and communicate well. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I mentioned in the intro that you worked for many years in, in education and that you're a big believer in that engineering education kind of needs, you know, revolutionizing. So what exactly do you mean by that? And, and why do you never get that idea from? Well, I th so I, th I, I think there are, there are a number of places, but it, it seems to me that, um, uh, that engineering done well has always been about a certain kind of bread. The, your, your, your site is about communication and, so sometimes people go into engineering because they're good in math and science and they want to hide from the communication side, but the communication side goes hand in glove with uh, being, being a good or, or um, great engineer. And um, it seems to me that that's become even more acute given the web. Um, technology and expertise and technology and tech is almost a commodity and and real engineering practice is about being able to understand clients, understand users, um, be able, being able to ask good questions, being able to listen to clients and customers. Um, and so it's all about communication. And yet we still stick to the teaching of engineering as though it's all about analysis and math, which of course it is about those things but it's not only about those things. And so some people use the term holistic engineering. Uh, uh, Mark Somerville and I wrote the a book called A Whole New Engineer. And the idea there was, yes, you need analytical mind and design mind, but you also need linguistic mind and um, leadership is an embodied sport. So you need body mind and, and uh, it's also requires control of one's emotions. And, and so that, um, uh, that's about people, people mind. So, so we, we reframed engineering as this more um, broad, broad kind of engineering education than people oftentimes think of it. And it seems to me that um, the digital natives of uh, the millennials and Generation Z kind of understand that on their own because they've been making their own choices forever. Um, and so um, it seems to me that it's uh, it says it's uh, uh, more important than ever to have this kind of broad view of what engineering is and that it's a big tent that many people can join it. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right, David, when you say that, at least in my own experience, going to engineering school, all those kind of soft skills, I guess, you know, non-technical skills weren't exactly... They weren't, they weren't highlighted at all. <laughs> Everything I learned about it was kind of on the fly, it is, it, working at a job. And 
one of my it was actually my second job where I had to give presentations in front of management every month of a project lead, and I was wholly unprepared to do so. So the technical yeah. was that technical was fine, but in, in yeah. terms of getting up in front of the CEO and the CTO and the CEO, anyone with C in the name in the corner office, the C suite, yep, yeah, it was it was nerve wracking, and I had no experience in whatsoever. Those first few presentations were absolutely dreadful. They were, I, I know they were terrible, and I mean, really the motivation for me developing Teach the Geek to Speak was me getting better at, at public speaking because I saw the benefit in doing so, not wanting to look like a fool every time I had to get in front of these people, you know, because I had to do it every month. Yep. So you're absolutely right. When it comes engineering schools really do need to do a better job at advocating, talking about more, you know, the non-technical skills because they're just as important. Well, it's, and it's even deeper than that. Um, and, and so a lot of times when companies say they want they want people with good communication skills. They mean good presenting and good written communication. And those things are important. But there's a, a, piece of, a piece of being an engineer, about being a good engineer, a good practitioner, that's missing. So the, the engine, engineering schools teach with the um, – there's this, a wonderful book called The Reflective Practitioner. It's an old book, 1983. But uh, the ideas are still current. And, and – uh, it was written by a guy at MIT named Don Schoen. And he said that the idea of practice that's taught in our universities is that practice is merely the application of well-vetted technical knowledge to particular situations. So we teach theory, and the assumption is that, the th that okay, we'll leave the application of theory to the, to the student or to the engineer. But he said that if you actually watch practitioners in action, that, that they're not usually applying theory as something they do, but they do it as a matter of course, because they've been well-trained in that. But the actual practice of any profession, whether it's psychology, engineering, even science, doesn't matter. That the actual practice is, he, he used the term uh, reflection in action. And he also used a lot of, he used the term conversation in action. And so, and so um, actually, um, Yogi Berra, the, the uh, Yankees um, manager and catcher, had a, had a one, he had these funny ways of saying things. He said that in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. <laughs> which is a really cool way of saying it. And, but in some ways, he's, he's sort of, what he's gesturing at, I think, is what Shun was talking about, that practice is really about conversation. So it's even deeper than being able to give a good talk, which is very important. It's even deeper than being able to write a good report, that the essence of practice, the essence of being an engineer, is being able to have conversations with uh, other practitioners, conversations with clients, and he and Shun used the term conversation with the situation. What do we know? What don't we know? And actually, the stuff that we do know, the theory, is less important than the things that we don't know that we have to figure out. And so I think we, I think universities completely, not completely, but largely misunderstand the importance of practitioner skills. And almost all of those skills are communication skills. They are. Their, their skills of what I, I, I used Shun's idea and I, I coined the term conversation in action. So how do we teach people to go beyond being good presenters and being good listeners? 
how do we teach people to ask great questions that cause people to reflect and, and make their heads explode? How do we, how do we, uh, um, how do we teach people to um, sort out and reflect what they do know and what they don't know? It seems to me that, that that's what practice is about. And, and as you were saying, we certainly don't teach the conventional soft skills, but these deeper soft skills, um, we don't teach at all. And I, I actually, I hate the term soft skills because they almost automatically make the, those things less important than the hard skills. So I've coined the term shift skills, that these shift skills help us shift gears and be, be better engineers and, and, and uh, technical people. Yeah, thank you for, for clarifying shift skills because I was reading, you know, reading up on you and I saw you mentioned shift skills and I was thinking to myself, what the hell does that mean? But <laughs> now, I, now I know. So well, it sort of it sounds like soft, so it's not that far from soft. You know, it's four letters and it has an S, they both have an S and a T in them. But, but also, it, it's about um, we live in a time of constant change. And if you want to be able to shift with those times, you better be a better listener. You better, you better be able to ask uh, better questions. And actually, the master shift skill is uh, awareness and noticing. And, and that sounds kind of funny because, in, um, um, but actually, so when I, I, I took, when I left the university, I took training as a leadership coach at Georgetown. And I walked in the first day of school, and I'm there with 36, 35 other uh, student coaches and a, and a few instructors, and they about the first thing they asked us is what What do you notice? And I, I kind of had a bad reaction to that question. It's like, oh, you mean I just spent fifteen thousand dollars to come to the school, and you're asking me what do I notice? When I came here to get some skills, <laughs> I came to realize that part of what I was taught as a coach was that noticing and awareness is sort of that's the um, that's the entry point to change until you're aware and until you notice the the story that you're in you can't change it but if you can kind of uh there's an expression in coaching uh of uh we lit we that practice is in we're on we're dancing on the dance floor and that that noticing is going to the balcony and kind of noticing what's going on on the dance floor but you're kind of doing both at once you're dancing and noticing both and actually, the story I told before, where I noticed myself telling the story of why I shouldn't get a PhD, that was, that's what enabled me to change. And so it's that, it's that kind of awareness. And we have, we have a part of our brain that's, that does that. Our medial prefrontal cortex helps us be aware of what we're thinking and feeling. And so, but we can, we can make that, we can... Uh, it's, a, it's actually like a muscle. If you use that part of your brain more, it gets faster and better. Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned also in the intro that you, you gave a TEDx talk a few years ago. How did that yep. come about? Well, so, um, I, I, so it was at the, uh, I was still at the University of Illinois and um, they were holding one and, and the uh, organizer was, um, was I believe a graduate student um, in the business school and had heard about some of the work that we were doing in engineering in what was called the Illinois Foundry for Innovation and Engineering Education. We had an, an incubator for educational change. Usually people think of an incubator as creating an entrepreneurial startup and that's a, that's a great kind of incubator, but we use the idea of an incubator to help make 
to help make little experiments of educational change in engineering at the University of Illinois, at Illinois, uh, University of Illinois at a time when people weren't particularly interested in changing undergraduate education. So we helped change the culture. Anyway, so I got a I got a um, an email about that um, uh, TED and and um, I re and, and they were kind of interested in what we were doing in iFoundry, but I needed to make it kind of general. And one of the, uh, I had this, coined this term, the missing basics of engineering back to help explain what we were doing in iFoundry. And in iFoundry, I would tell people, well, we need more soft skills. We need more emphasis on communication. We need more emphasis on 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 the things, essentially the same point you were making, that those skills were not being taught in engineering. And I, I would say, well, we need to do more of that. And then my colleagues would say, but what, wouldn't that dilute the basics by which they meant math, science, and engineering science? And um, so that's when I coined the term, the missing basics of engineering as a way to describe how important those were. And I also... I, I had a list of seven in that TED talk and, and various, I've given that talk in various venues of some longer, some shorter. That was a, that was a short version of it. But, um, and uh, so the, so the, the first missing, and I actually attached the, I attached the storyline of the, of uh, the missing basics to my work as a, a coach in senior design. So I taught in a department called general engineering. It's uh, now called industrial and systems engineering. So in general engineering, we had a senior design course that was industrially sponsored. It was one of the first back in the 60s. And uh, so I had this experience over and over again with young engineers. We would, I would work with a team of three students on an industrial problem. And I would go to go with them on site, and it was constantly interesting to me all the things they didn't know how to do, given that they were trained engineers, and all of them had to do with soft skills. So I, the the particular story I told was about going to a tortilla factory and working on reducing dusting flour. So on a tortilla, they put dusting flour on the conveyor belt so the tortillas don't stick, but they were using so much of it, it was very expensive and it was causing quality control problems. Mm -hmm. So anyways, but my storyline would go, okay, well you go with the students, they're trained up engineers, it's their senior year, they're almost ready to go out in the world and it's a perfect time to ask what don't they know and what's, what's the first thing they don't know how to do? Well, they need to get information about what the problem is and they don't know how to ask good questions. And I and so I attach that to um, uh, that that skill was taught to the West to Western civilization by Socrates. Socrates was great at you know with the whole idea of Socratic dialogue is asking questions and giving answers. The idea of dialectic going back and forth in a conversation to come to arrive at the truth. And so I said, well, we our students don't know how to ask questions. That's a failure of of. Uh, Socrates 101, and then they don't know how to, then they, then the data they get back isn't numbers, it's qualitative stories about what the problem is. So then they don't know how to categorize those stories. What's that? That's a failure of Aristotle 101 because Aristotle helped categorize human knowledge very, um, very early in, in philosophy. So anyway, so, so the, the uh, TED talk uh, arose from 
from that idea of the missing basics, which was an answer to my colleagues, that those things, those, those soft skills were in many ways just as important, in fact, more basic than the so-called basics of engineering. That's crazy that you even had to tell people that. But, you know, I think a lot of engineers, especially when they get into the workforce, that's something that they learn eventually. I mean, they may not have known that when they were in school, but it's, it's kind of hard to miss, when you, especially when you're talking to people outside of engineering, like what I used to have to do. So you yep. have to talk to the salespeople. You have to talk to marketing. You know, they, yep. they don't have engineering backgrounds. So yep. you're going to have to learn how to, to talk to these people. Yep. You're going to keep your job anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, there go there. There again is this idea that that engineering practice is fundamentally about those conversations. Yeah. For and sure. so and so my thinking from then from the so the idea of the missing basics was a way to get my engineering and of course somebody who goes off and gets a PhD has been steeped in the theory and thinks the theory is the most important thing. And so I was simply trying to get my colleagues to think, well, these other things are important and we're not doing a very good job of them. How can we do a better job? I was trying to make room, but as I've, as my work has progressed, um, and in about 2010, I left the university because the work at iFoundry was successful and I, I went out into the world and uh, I actually, uh, my first gig was at um, the National University of Singapore. And I, I wanted to see if the same ideas would work in a different culture. Um, but as I, as I, um, uh, I took training as a coach and as I started to work on these things, I realized that these, these soft skills could be taught rigorously. And, and so, and that there's actually a core in, in uh, linear algebra, we know that there, we need six, if you have a six dimensional space, you need six vectors to span that space, six, um, 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 uh, and, and sometimes they're, sometimes they're independent uh, vectors. But, so I, th I think there are something like five core shift skills that then allow us to span the space of the conversational space, the space of practice and that they can be taught rigorously and quickly. It's not, sometimes people think it, it takes a long time. It takes a long time if you have to kind of learn them from people who also don't respect them and know what they are. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you actually kind of know what they are and have identified the core set, it, you can get there quite quickly. And so I've done this, I've done this with students as young as 16. I've done it with um, undergraduates, I've done it with graduate students, I've done it with faculty, I've done it in um, in the, in the, in fact, I'm giving a talk at a major uh, Midwestern uh, consumer products organization um, in October on these shift skills. I, I think that these things can, we can do a better, we can do a much better job and that um, there'll be, they're terrific efficiencies uh, uh, and um, many of the drop balls of teamwork are failures of, of uh, shift skill, uh, our shift skills failures. Um, many of the everyday, you know, like if you, if you, um, read Dil the cartoon Dilbert, many of those failures are shift skills failures. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, I've also mentioned in the intro that you have a, a business three, three joy associates. So what yep. exactly does three joy associates do? What does it provide for clients? Yeah. So three, yeah. So three joy associates is a, a training, coaching and, um, consulting firm primarily in higher education, although I, I have, I've had clients in, um, I've had uh, uh, 
private sector clients, but most of my work is in improvement of higher education. And so I do, I do uh, shift skill training seminars for faculty, for students. Uh, I, I can provide a, a full curriculum of shift skills learning that can be um, taught across, across the curriculum. Uh, I've recently done some work. So one of the challenges of making change in engineering education is everyone thinks it's real slow. In fact, I thought it was slow. Um, but I, um, I got a call from a, a university in Columbia, Bogota, Columbia. And they said, uh, well, we want, a, we want a new curriculum, uh, but we want it to be transformative like what you talked about in a whole new engineer. I said, okay, well, how many years do we have? They said, two months. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, I don't know how to do that, but let's see what we can do. And, and anything, one thing led to another. And so I took modern action frameworks like agile software development and design thinking and put them into a package that I call the four sprints package together with just-in-time shift skills training. And um, lo and behold, we had a, we had a terrific shift in, the, uh, uh, in what the faculty was willing to do, how daring they were allowed to, how bold they were allowed, allowed themselves to go, and also a shift in the culture of the department, which is, which is critical. And a whole new engineer, we said that really, when we spend all of our time thinking about changing content, cr content curriculum and pedagogy, we're mistaken because the real changes that are fundamental are cultural and emotional. The mood of a department is much different when it when it believes in students rather than treats them as ignorant and and unable to learn for themselves. Um, so, but we saw that shift in a very short time, and I was surprised by it. And so, I no longer hold to the idea that these things have to be slow. Again, we have to we have to do the right stuff at the right time to to evoke the shift in mood. But it's eminently doable, and so. Um, uh, one of the three joy is now working on a framework for enabling rapid change in engineering, not only engineering schools, but in higher education programs around the world. I'll be giving a talk. There's a uh, uh, world engineering education forum in India in, um, in uh, November. I'll be giving a talk about this method there. Oh, wow. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So, you know, you, you, you speak all over the place. You speak at, you know, higher education in institutions, private sector, obviously given the TEDx talk. When it comes to public speaking, what are the most important tips you could offer? Yeah, so that's, and that's such a great question. And, and, and public speaking is a, um, it's a complex, it's a complex task. And I think it, so I think there's, I think there are stages of development for a public speaker. So the, you know, the, the first part, it seems to me, is to, um, to, to be organized and have kind of a structure. So a lot of times um, you, you want to present something that's logical uh, that people can accept as, <laughs> as, as an argument. And, and I've worked with enough students to know that that's, that's not, uh, we're not born with that. That's something you have to work on. And um, so, uh, I have a book called The Entrepreneurial Engineer, and there are two chapters that are, go hand to, and glove together. I think chapter five and six. One is about writing, and one is about presenting. 
but kind of the lot kind of being able to write logically and present logically, I think are sort of the, the, the first steps of, of that. And it, and it's, um, you know, when you enter, um, the main thing, well, you were talking before about your own experience about kind of not being scared. Well, not being scared is you, is about not looking foolish and, and, um, speaking logically and forcefully about in, in a step-by-step -step, um, manner. So I think that's kind of step one to then, you know, to be able to, to be able to speak emotionally and in ways that are inspirational. It seems to me that, 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 that kind of speaking uh, comes from the heart and, and, and comes from not putting on airs, but being who you are kind of finding your, finding your own voice. But that's not step one. Kind of finding a voice that's sort of a good professional voice is step one. But then as, as you are able to do that, allowing who you are to come to the surface, not wearing your emotions on your shirt sleeve, but um, so when I, I, um, when I speak now, I, I'm, I'm aware that I'm and I draw on stories from my life in ways that people find interesting. That's not step one, but it seems to me that that's um, kind of getting the content part, getting the logic um, together. I think, and I think uh, actually writing a fair amount is helpful to speaking well. Then that programs your tongue uh, the, by having turns of phrase that you can call on because you've written them. It's a little bit, I, 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 um, I've been as a a late adult learner. I've been trying to learn jazz guitar, and jazz is really hard. And part of why it's hard is because it's like a language, and so it's the um, having those phrases um, at to that your fingers can do is part of the trick. And so it seems to me that the way you get the moral equivalent as a speaker is in part through writing and in part through making your PowerPoints more logical, in part through um, crafting um, interesting ways of uh, saying things. I would say uh, there have been two uh, writing, the, the, the book that changed my writing the most was a book called Writing with Power by Peter Elbow. And then there's another book that I like a lot for creating sticky language like The Missing Basics or the four sprints method. Uh, uh, it's a book by the Heath brothers, uh, Chip and Dan Heath called Made, um, Made to Stick. It's about, that it has a model of what, what makes language so sticky that people repeat it without you being there. You know, David, wait, <laughs> I was laughing earlier because one of the first things you said about you know, public speaking tips was being logical and, and structured and you know, presenting things in a way that uh, is logical. And I, <laughs> so as you know, I, I worked, I work as an, I worked as an engineer and yes. I have a, a friend and he's not an engineer, but whenever we talk about public speaking, he, oh, he, he swears by this. Whenever he does it, he, he doesn't prepare. He, he just goes up there and wings it every time. And I, I just, it, 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 it befuddles me how he's able to do that every time. And because I'm, I'm with you, I'm, I'm all about structure and, and organizing it and practicing just to make sure that it makes sense and it flows properly. But like every time I mentioned that, he's just like, oh, you're just an idiot. You think like such an engineer, like, 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 like that's some sort of insult. 
I'm like, hey, whatever, man. <laughs> whatever works for you. Well, I I, and it may be different professions. It may have different values. And so, um, and I may have been reflecting the values of, of, the, of our profession that, it, that for, for an argument to be accepted, there has to be a certain logic to it. Uh, but I, I, can, I take the point that, and actually there's a, one of the shift skills is called polarity management. So actually the polarity that we're talking about here, and polarities are opposites that need each other. So um, which is more important, inhaling or exhaling? Well, you kind of need to do both to, to uh, be a living human being. Who's more important, um, being uh, authentic and speaking from the heart or being logical? Well, they're both, we'd like, and I actually, I talked on both sides of that fence. I said, as a young engineer, you should probably be logical first and move towards spe uh, speaking uh, from the heart. But having said that, there's a lot to be said. If you can get up and speak um, authentically, there's a, there's a force and a power to that um, as long as the lack of logic doesn't get in your way. And so, um, so I, so I can see where that might, you know, that might work for your friend, depending on the kind of audience that he's speaking to, but it's, but the management, that's why I spoke about both sides, because it's really that polarity. And there, there are many other important, which is more important, great teamwork or great individual work, giving people direction or giving them freedom. Well, actually, in all cases, it's sort of both sides are important. And we want the good stuff of each poll not the, not the negative stuff. If I direct someone too much, that's micromanagement. Anyway, so, it's, so in, in, in many of these complex human tasks, these opposites, these, pola these um, polarities, kind of we need to work both sides and be conscious of working both sides. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation, David. Thanks again for, for taking time to speak with me. Is there anything that you'd like listeners or I guess viewers to, to know about what you're working on? Yeah, so I, I'll, just say, I'll just say this. One of the things um, that, that I, I learned in, in, in becoming a coach, and, and, and we get this from our schooling, we can be awfully hard on ourselves, especially, okay, so like we just were saying, learning how to be a public speaker as, as you're advocating uh, uh, engineers and, and technical people do, it's a complex thing. It's not a, it's not, it's not a simple task. And sometimes when we first do it, we're not happy with ourselves. And um, so the important thing, the important thing when you're in a period of learning and growth is to learn and grow and to not, um, and be gentle with yourself while you're learning and growing. It's like, okay, what did I learn from that? What did I do that was okay from that? Okay. Yeah. There are things to improve, but I would just, I would urge your, um, uh, viewers and listeners to to um, uh, while they're learning and growing to be gentle with themselves. It's too easy to be a um, a tough taskmaster and and pick all the things that you were imperfect about. What did you do well? What would you like to do differently? And and recognize that you are learning and growing. For sure. So if people want to contact you, how can they do so? Yeah. So uh, you can uh, write me at uh, at. Uh, uh, DEG Delta Echo Golf, my uh, initials, David Edward Goldberg at 3joy.com, 3-T-H-R-E-E-Joy, J-O-Y.com, or just go to 3joy.com uh, and uh, see the kinds of things that we do. Excellent. So DEG at 3joy.com or just go to the website 3joy.com. Excellent. 
Well, everybody, that, that marks the end of, of this episode. My name is Neil Thompson. I am founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is Teach the Geek to Speak. It's a public speaking course. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>